one of the things he said that has always stuck with me and, um, and, and has explained a lot is he said, there are two types of writers. There are architects and there are planters. And architects are people who know that this is what the structure of the building is going to be. This is where the electricity is going to go. This is where the plumbing is going to be. This is, they know where everything's going to be before they start, right? And then there's planters. And planters, they have a seed. They may have an idea of what type of seed they're going to grow, but, but they don't quite know what it's going to look like exactly. here. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for you to be joining me today as we chat with our guest, Peter Gamble, about screenwriting. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. Peter Gamble sold Halloween-themed thriller 1031 to Orion Pictures, which was featured on the Blacklist, Hitlist, and Bloodlist as one of the best unproduced horror films of 2019. The same year, he sold I Play Rocky, a Sylvester Stallone biopic, to Baja Productions. Peter started his career ghostwriting the Oscar-nominated film House of Sand and Fog. He worked as a one-man writer's room for Ed Solomon for 12 years on films such as Now You See Me 1 and 2, Mosaic, and Wild Hogs. His film Office Uprising was released on Crackle in 2018. The Harrowing has won multiple screenwriting awards and is under option by director and Angela Robinson. Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Zanya. How are you? Good, good. So I like to start uh, every episode just by stating how my guests and I have met, um, if that's okay. So we met back in the summer through uh, the artist way. We were both in that workshop with Jen Seifert um, and you were the only guy. Did it start <laughs> off? Did you, were you the only guy to start off with or were there? I was the only guy in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. okay. Way to represent. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, and now you're teaching me Tai Chi and meditation, weekly groups. Those are amazing. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So how can I help today? Yeah. So can we just start with what brought you to screenwriting? I mean, were you just always a storyteller? Did you go to school for screenwriting? Just kind of what drew you to it in the first place? You know, uh, so um, I was a big nerd as a kid and um, and I was actually dyslexic and it's a little odd. Most of the time people with dyslexic have trouble reading. Um, I had trouble writing. I had trouble with my letters. I had trouble with all sorts of stuff. I had trouble with sports, tons of trouble with sports, but I loved to read. I hid, I, I read voraciously. It's interesting. My daughter's the same way. You know, she had a lot of trouble getting started reading. Once we got her reading, um, she, she devours, you know, book after book after book and rereads them and rereads them. And, and so, you know, like most people uh, who get into this, I, I fell in love with writing. I mean, with reading. You know, um, I fell in love with stories. I, I had uh, an imagination, you know, that was um, a little exhausting for my family, my parents, you know. And um, so I, I kind of experimented a little with writing as I was in high school and, and you know, um, a, as people do. And um, when it came time to apply to college, uh, I was interested in directing, I was interested in writing, and I was interested in special effects. Those were all the things that were kind of interesting to me. And, you know, um, I think that I was a little bit uh, introverted and the writing called to me a little bit stronger. And so I went to school at USC for screenwriting and I was there for four years and I graduated and came back for directing for three years. And then I um, had this, 
insane experience of um, winding up working for someone who had optioned the, the movie uh, House of Sand and Fog. And he had hired someone to, um, to write the script and that guy had not done a very good job. And uh, he was trying to figure out what to do because his option was running out. Now, the way an option works is, you know, you, you give a lot of money and, you know, you say, uh, but less money than you would pay to buy something. And you say, um, I want the rights to this for a period of time, usually about two years. And you try and adapt it and then sell it. Get, you know, and so, so he had spent the time he had, you know, and didn't get what he wanted. And I read the script and um, it was, a re- I, I read the script, which wasn't good. And I read the book and the book was amazing. And it was the first time in my life, everything it was like watching someone throw all the pieces of a puzzle into the air mm-hmm. and watching the puzzle land put together. Right. And I knew exactly what to do. And so I, I, I told um, the guy I was working for uh, this create this guy named the Dean. I said, I could do, I, I, I know I could do a better job than this guy's done. I don't know if it would be good enough to make, but I promise you it'll be way better than what you've already got. And I said, I, I don't know if it'd be good to, enough to make because I've never written something that was good enough to make, but, but I know I could do a better job than this. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, he said to me that, you know, he was, he, he came back to me. He said, look, you know, um, fine, but you only have, and I said, I can do a better job in two weeks. Wow. Right. So, you know, and he said that, he said, that's fine, but you, you only have one week. <laughs> and he said, and I'm going to put my name on it because it's going to help me get it made. And, um, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about today is, is I think everyone's got a character arc, you know, and my character arc was about fear, you know, mm-hmm. um, something about, you know, the inception of my life made the issue that I dealt with fear. And so I didn't stand up to him and say, no, 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 you got to put my name on it too, or, or, or just my name on it. I just, I said, okay, mm-hmm. you know, because, because I really wanted to write this. I really felt called to write it. And so um, I sat down and I wrote it and um, it took two weeks. It didn't take a week (laughs) and it very quickly got made, you know, and it was this really wild experience to watch something like this happen and have it happen so easily, you know? Um, And, you know, he said, you know, he he promised me he would take care of me, Um, which uh, on the next one, which he, you know, didn't. So we kind of separate, went different ways, but that was my first kind of experience with, um, with screenwriting, you know, and um, you know, it, yeah. Um, so the, but here's a different answer. Let me give you a different answer. Cause I think a different answer is this, you know, how do people become writers? And the answer is slowly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, my whole life I've become more and more of a writer. Every time I sit down, I become more of a writer, right? And it, you know, um, it's uh, you know, it's something that builds up. You have an interest in writing, then you experiment with writing, and then you, even when I was in college, I was only doing a little bit of writing. You know, I mean, I was writing, but not compared to what I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, which is so interesting because I was studying writing. Right. You know, and. Yeah. And maybe I was writing like 15, 20 pages a week, something like that. You know, now I write 15 pages a day on a good, on a good day. I've actually written 25 pages, you know, in in a single day before, Mm -hmm. you know, now I'm not saying they're great pages, you know, they're vomit pages, but like, but you build up to that. Right. You know, it's not like you just are, you know, descend from the heavens, you know, and, and, and are born a writer. You know, it, it's, it's just something that builds up. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of wondered there. Did I, did I sort of answer your question? Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking about how you wrote this script in two weeks and like, well, how, I re- is I, that re- yeah, rewrote it. But like, is I that rewrote typical? it after that. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I have written a couple scripts in that type of amount of time, That's you know, but to I, me. But, but I've also spent, and again, when I say wrote it, okay, so, so let's talk about it. Cause like, so, so you, first of all, I'm working off of a book, 
mm-hmm. right? So there is a lot of source material to use there, right? Second of all, when I say I wrote it in that time, I had already put together an outline okay. where I was, you know, where I was suggesting what it should have been. So I had an mm. outline to work off of. So, <clears throat> you know, yeah, you can write something in two weeks if you have a really good outline, okay. you know, but let me give you an example. So I was working, um, after that, I went, I worked with Ed Solomon for many, many years, which was great because it was kind of like learning at the feet of the master, you know? Um, but when we would work, we would spend, you know, a lot of times he would be hired to do a production rewrite and we would spend a month, you know, um, just breaking the story and figuring out what we wanted to write mm-hmm. in the studio would call and say, okay, so can we see some pages a month then, you know? And he'd say, well, I haven't written any yet. And they'd start to panic, you know? And he'd say, no, no, no. You know, I'm still breaking the story, making sure I have all the right ideas. If I have the right ideas, I'm going to be able to write it very quickly. If I don't have the right ideas, it's not going to matter what I, when I start writing. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be good unless the ideas are right, you know? So, so what I will usually do in my process is I will usually try to break an outline before I start writing. And I will spend more time breaking the outline than I will spend actually doing writing. Mm, okay. Because, because if the outline is right, and, and usually what I'm doing with the outline is I've, I'm kind of doing it in the background of other things. I'm, I'm writing something and then I'm outlining something else in the background. And when an outline finally gets ready, it's almost like pulling a trigger. It's like, okay, now I know what I want to do. Let's write this thing. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and then it can be very quick. So it's a lot of prep work for a very quick write, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about like my own writing process and just like, even back to like learning in school, like writing classes. And they're like, you have to do an outline. I never did outlines. And that's probably why my writing process is so chaotic. Well, okay. So this is another interesting thing to talk about because George R. R. Martin um, once said, and it was pretty cool because I was, uh, I I used to have a podcast uh, called Geeks On. Uh, this is way back at the beginning of podcasts and we interviewed George R. R. Martin, um, at, at Comic-Con one year and it was pretty cool. Um, but one of the things he said that has always stuck with me and, um, and, and has explained a lot is he said, there are two types of writers. There are architects and there are planters and architects are people who know that this is what the structure of the building is going to be. This is where the electricity is going to go. This is where the plumbing is going to be. This is, they know where everything's going to be before they start. Right. And then there's planters and planters, they have a seed. They may have an idea of what type of seed they're going to grow, but, but they don't quite know what it's going to look like exactly. Right. And they put it in the ground and they water it with their blood and they see where it goes. Yeah. Right. And so there's advantages to both of these. Um, you know, the advantage to architecture is that you can really make sure that everything fits together and you know how it's going to fit together and you know that it's going to work before you start. Um, the advantage to planting is that sometimes it can be a slightly more organic process because you haven't predecided anything. You haven't imposed structure on it. And it can take you places that are a little more unexpected sometimes. Uh, the disadvantage to planting is that Elmer Leonard, for example, he was, a, he was a, a planter. You know, he would talk about the way he wrote a book is he would start writing a character and a voice. And if that character kept speaking to him, he would keep writing until he was done with the book. You know, if they didn't, he'd move on to the next character. Well, a lot of his books are some of the most amazing books and they became movies, but others, others you would read them and they would get to the end. And as they got to the end, he didn't know how to end them. Mm. And they would just kind of end, mm-hmm. you know? So I think you need a little bit of both, but sometimes I, you know, but I teach as well. And it's really interesting. Um, you know, 90% of the students do really well with the architecture, but every once in a while I have a student that comes in and they can't do it. And, 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 and that's fine. You know, it's important to understand that once you know that you go, okay, I'm not, I have to not impose my process on their, you know, on, on their soul, right. you know? they have to, you, you instead have to figure out how to help their process work. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, you know, again, it's different for every person. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think I like, I try to do a little bit of both, but like I have the idea 
and then just like through that so I'm writing a sci-fi series uh not like books and uh I'm on book one and truly it's it's every time I write it takes me somewhere else like it's such a we'll get into this later but like a spiritual like creative process that I'm like I am just the vessel I don't even know what's happening so but yeah it starts with that one idea and then it just it goes wherever it wants to go so it's cool but it's also like scary because I'm like is this ever going to be done (laughs) yep yep but you know I mean that's also why writing is rewriting yeah I mean you know we're I'm working on something right now and I'm on the third or fourth draft on it it's very different from the first draft you know yeah because as you said, you know, you, you're working on it and, you know, it, it takes you to different places. And then, you know, now you have to go back and make sure that the place it starts is where it's going to end, Yeah. you know, cause it's evolved as you wrote it. And, and then, you know, a lot of times, you know, could, there's a process of refining and figuring out like, you know, this has got 10 ideas in it. And it really only needs to have one idea in it, you know, and how do yeah. I, how do I, how do I figure out what the one idea really is and let the other pieces of it that are pieces that don't really fit fall away? Yeah. When I first started writing the book, book one, I I was basically writing two different stories and I had to sit down with myself as a kid, like, which one am I writing? Like, which one's going to win? So yeah, I get that. What's your creative process like? So um, I have spent, so when I graduated film school and this was many years ago and it's interesting i teach at the same school that i graduated from um so so the so the what they teach is really different from what i experienced but but i didn't know what i needed to know you know i'd gotten pieces of stuff that were really useful but it it didn't work you know so i would sit down to write and you know the first act was always easy and i'd get into the second act and it was like walking into the sahara desert Mm. i had no idea how to get from one end to the other and i was walking in circles trying to you know I mean, it was just, it was really hard. So um, I started this process of, I, I mean, I, 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 at one point I said, this isn't working. I need to do something different. And I stopped, I stopped working for about a year and I started studying. I started reading books on screenwriting. I started reading screenplays. I started analyzing them. And, you know, this was about the time that I started working for Vadim. And so I, I started having to analyze screenplays that he was being offered you know, and I started to see uh, the structure of movies, right? And I started out with plot and I started to learn to see the plot structure. And then I started to explore the character structure and then theme and then relationship. And so what, what I do now is I, I, I think of story as, so a lot of people think when you talk about structure to a movie, they think either plot, the plot structure, or they think formula, right? I think of it as something different. I think that plot has a structure. I think that the character arc is a structure. That's why it's called an arc, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people think of characters, the opposite of plot, but I think it is, you know, as complementary. you know, people are like, are you character based or plot? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Anyway. Um, but theme has structure relationship has structure. I mean, how, how a person's relationship changes over the course of a movie, do they go from lovers to enemies? right? Do they go from enemies to best friends? You know, how, what is the pathway that they go through? If you look at a movie like Rain Man, which is really interesting, where it's a story about two people who are in theory brothers, but the relationship is not that. His relationship at the beginning is as a kidnapper, right? And then they slowly become brothers over the course of the movie and think about how that transforms. So I see all these different types of structures and it's not hard to understand each individual structure, um, what's hard to do is to weave them together mm-hmm. to play the three-dimensional chess of going, how do I take, how do I build a relationship structure for the film? How do I build a character work for the film? How do I build a plot? How do I work with the different levels of theme and subplots and you know, things like that. And then you, and so what I, well, the way I think of it is I take each of these as a place to brainstorm and to think deeply. Right. And so, and I intentionally think, you know, some people will say, you know, um, some books will say things like uh, character is the thing. That's really what you got to focus on or plot is the thing. And I, I actually think everything is the thing you have to focus on. Yeah. And the hard part of it is to get them to synergize, to dance together. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll spend a lot of the time deeply thinking about character arc. Right. And I'll start to create a thread, a character arc thread. 
right? And then I'll do the same for my plot, a plot thread, and then, you know, a relationship thread and all these different threads. And then I start trying to weave them together and make them work, you know? And that's kind of my process. And I would say that the difference between a beginning screenwriter and, you know, a more advanced screenwriter is that the more advanced screenwriter has more questions that they ask themselves. And so they're going through these lists of questions constantly in their head. And, um, and when one's not working for them, they switch to a different question. Mm. You know, the character arc's not working for me. I start thinking about plot. If the plot's not working for me, I think about something else. You know, I start thinking about the voice of the characters or the set pieces or the, you know, and, um, okay. So then, and usually what happens is you, you brainstorm more ideas than you need in each mm-hmm. of these categories. So I come up with, you know, all these different ideas for what could be the character arc. And then I take the best pieces of that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and what happens is as you brainstorm all these different ideas, they start to become magnetic. Certain ideas start to get attracted to others and other pieces start to fall away. So the good stuff starts to kind of just naturally on itself, pull together. And there's this process of you brainstorm stuff. You come back the next day and you go, well, what's still resonant for me? Mm-hmm. What's still talking to me? What's singing to me? You know? Okay. So, so that's what I'll do. Right. So I start off by kind of like brainstorming all these things. Then I start to kind of push it into a structure and then I eventually sit down and I'll actually do a, well, I'll show you something kind of create. Well, can, can I share a screen with you? Um, what I'll do is, is I'll create this diagram. That's really an intense diagram. And, you know, it, it's almost like a visual story map, right? And I'll break the story in, um, let's see, I'll break the stories, you know, so that you'll see uh, the plot on, on one thread, right? And I'll diagram out the, the acts and then within the axe, I'll diagram out chapters, for, you know, within the, within the axe, right? And then I'll create a character arc and I'll diagram out each moment of change and write it in. And, and oh, you can't see any of this. And then I'll do the same with a relationship arc, right? And let's say there's a mystery. If there's a mystery, I'll do another, doc, another one where I create a mystery arc and I talk about each step of the mystery. But eventually I get this really kind of complicated map. Mm-hmm. And I might even say, okay, now I'm going to have a subplot or this is how he changes the world. And I, I've got all these different threads, right? But each of these threads is a way to kind of think, you know, and see what's happening. Anyway, yeah. when that's done, I'll write out a scene outline, scene by scene, a short paragraph for everything that I want to do. And when that's ready to go, and I've shown that to people and people are liking it and they picked at it a little bit and thrown rocks at it, then I start writing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I can write very quickly if, if, if I'm lucky. But other times it's taken three months to write something instead of, you know, because you get stuck and something wasn't working, you know? So. Can we talk about Now You See Me? Because that is sure. my favorite movie. I'm not kidding. I have seen it so many times. And now knowing that you wrote it just makes me love it even more. Well, I, I worked on it, you know? I mean, I was, you know, it, I, what I did on it was kind of like what you would do if you were in a TV writer's room, you know? So I would sit with Ed and I would pitch ideas and he would, put the idea some of the ideas would make it in you know um and uh uh you know and i but but i never i never actually got my fingers on the page like ed Ed and my relationship was such that you know the i could pitch an idea and he he could he he might write it in but we had this kind of like a line in the sand where where my fingers didn't touch the keyboard Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and and you know um uh, uh, but, 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 but the role I played was like in a writer's room. That's what people do in a writer's room. You sit okay. you know, around a table and you pitch ideas and then there's a showrunner and the showrunner takes those ideas that they, whichever ones they like, and they pull it together into the story they want it to be. Hmm. But, um, that was a really fun experience because, um, I, you know, in that case, we brought in music, uh, magicians, Mm-hmm. to talk to us about how magic works. Right. Oh my God. And it was really magicians. They're really interesting people, you know, and there was this one guy um, and he was a, a mentalist more than a magician, but he knew how all the magic worked, but he was a guy who his show would be, he would hypnotize people mm-hmm. and he could do, you know, the, in that show, when they do the speed hypnotism where the yeah. guy walks up and that's real. Yeah. I've seen it done. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work on everyone. But, but he would talk about, he said, if you, it, you have to watch 
He goes, if I go out on the street, I can watch people walking by and you have to look for people whose minds are already in a certain space. Mm-hmm. And I can walk up to them. And if I do things right, about 50% of the time, I can hypnotize someone like that. Oh my God. Which was really interesting. That's so, yeah, it's so interesting. My, I had a couple of episodes ago, one of my friends, he does magic and we talked all about it. And I'm, I'm that person who does not want to know how any trick is done because I love being mystified by it. So it's, it's my favorite movie of all time. Oh, I, I appreciate it. It was a joy to work on. You know, it was really a joy to work on. It was one. Of, it was one of the best things we ever worked on. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool too because because it was based around magic, and like usually that's not in film. I mean, like you know, like there's it's not like I don't I don't know. It's more just like a stage thing. Yeah, what was great about that movie, the first one? I'm not. I have issues with the second one, but um, you know. Uh, what was great about the first one was that almost every trick in that whole thing was done, was able to be done practically. Really? Yeah. Like there was one trick in there that there was a giant bubble at yes. one point that was definitely computer generated. Right. Yeah. You know, and you could see it, but like, but even like the opening where the, where he's, you know, showing you the cards and saying, pick a card. Like mm-hmm. that was a trick that's done on the audience at the beginning, mm. you know, I mean, and it was real. It's a real trick. You could do it to anyone. You know, um, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was really fun. Yeah. It was joyful. Here's what magicians will tell you. The thing about doing a magic trick is you either do the trick before you do the trick. So it's already done. And then you pretend like you're doing the trick, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or you convince someone you're, that you've done the trick and then you actually do it after they think the trick has been done, hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah, but that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm that person who's like, "Wait, you 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 did it? You just did it? Wait, what happened? Oh my god!" So. Yeah, so it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, can we chat about the link between spirituality and creativity? I mean, both have yeah. been in the artist way. We we both agree that there's a link. So, I'd love to just hear your thoughts about that. Um, yeah. Can I start with something different if it's okay? Can I start by talking, you know, I, I want to say, I I think that we've evolved to tell stories, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that stories started out, um, you know, I mean, Grog, the caveman was sitting around a fire and he was telling the story about how he hunted the cave bear. Right. And he was probably telling it in this very like dramatic fashion about, you know, there I was, the king of bear was 10 feet tall. Yeah. Like it was really like, you know, but he's doing that because he's infusing the feeling of being there mm-hmm. as best he can. Giving you the feeling of facing a cave bear, the fear of it, the terror, you know, the feeling of his heart beating, you know, his hand you know, trembling. Right. And, and how he had to be brave enough to aim the spear and not run and not turn away and kill the bear, mm-hmm. right? And the reason that he had to do that was because he had to infuse into the audience the experience he had so that if they ever had a similar experience, there would be a part of them that would say, that would whisper to them, you know, you've been here before, hmm. you know what to do, you know? And, and so this is an evolutionary thing to to take an experience and instill it to another human being mm-hmm. right and you know for me um it's interesting because i had a, a a similar i had an interesting experience happen which was you know when i had my kids we you know how do you how do you learn how to be a father you know and you go and you start taking these classes and they teach you this is what it's like. This is how you hold the baby. This is how you feed the baby. This is how you do the diaper. This is how you clean the diaper. You clean the, butt, the, the, the baby's butt. You learn all these different things. And we also took this class on um, CPR, infant CPR. And the guy was like Grog the caveman. <laughs> and he would tell these stories that were like just terrifying. You know, he, would, he would infuse into you this panic of, mm. you know, your you go to your friend's house and the kids are in the room playing, right? And then you realize that they're really quiet. You wonder, well, wait, why are they quiet? You go to investigate and you realize that they've opened the sliding glass door. 
and you go into the backyard looking for them. And then you see your baby is face down in the water mm. moving. And he would do this type of stuff and just make you just like, you know, he would, he would say it in such a way that you just would have this, mm, like you'd have this reaction. And then he'd say, all right, go, 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 you know, and you jump and you jump into it and you practice it, you know? And um, my wife was there and she was really pregnant with twins, you know, and it was right before they were born. So she was, you know, um, spending an awful lot of time building babies and she was like exhausted. Um, but uh, so we took this, this class um, and about seven months later, maybe five months later, I think it was actually, um, I was putting my daughter Katie to bed and my son Jack to bed. And I put Katie into her crib and I sat her down inside her crib. She was just, she just learned how to sit up. So she'd sit and she was kind of like wobbling as she's sitting and she's inside the crib. And um, my son had this explosive diaper, like just the most disgusting explosive diaper. And I'm changing him and Katie uh, falls over inside her crib. Mm -hmm. Not, nothing big, she just falls under her back, no big deal. But she starts to cry and she's got this shrieking cry. And I'm doing my best to get to Jack, you know, taking care of him, put him in his crib. And I finally do. And I put him in, I turn around to get my daughter. And my wife is sitting next to me. And I say to her, does she look like she's turning blue to you? Hmm. And my, uh, my wife looked at her and said, uh, call 911. And so um, she snatched her up and I called 911. And my daughter's crying, shrieking, and she starts having trouble breathing. And um, she starts to sound like she's struggling to, uh, to breathe in. Mm -hmm. And when she's crying out, it starts to sound almost like a balloon when you're holding it, you know? Mm -hmm. So she's yeah. going, <laughs> you know, um, and so, uh, so she turned blue and then she turned purple mm -hmm. and, um, and then her eyes rolled up in the back of her head and she stopped breathing, you know? And I was on the phone trying to talk with, uh, you know, 911 and my wife was freaking out because she, as I said, she'd been, you know, barely able to hold it together during CPR. She couldn't remember what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I said, you know, I gave her the phone and I, and I said, um, you know, give me Katie. And I laid her down. And I remember as I went down to give her CPR, I remember hearing a voice in my head. And I guarantee, I, I promise you, I remember hearing, hearing this that said, um, you've been here before. You know what to do. Oh my God. I just yeah. got chills. Oh my God. And I did CPR on her and she came back. Yeah. And, um, you know, she looked really dazed, you know, and then, uh, the ambulance took a long time to find us because they, they went to the wrong house. You know, we were in the back, we were in a back house. And when they saw that she was okay, they were going to leave. And then this one fireman was amazing, but he said, you know, let's just take her in anyway. And on the way out to the ambulance, she coded again and they had to bring her back again. Mm -hmm. And um, it took them two months to figure out what was wrong with her. They finally figured out she had a rare heart condition mm -hmm. where she had an extra vein coming out of her heart. And it, it was collapsing her throat, the wrapped around her throat, collapsing it. Wow. Um, but uh, the reason that we have evolved to tell stories is it, it keeps us alive. Mm -hmm. And it kept, her, it kept my daughter alive that day. Mm -hmm. A story did, right? Yeah. A story told me that had infused their knowledge into me. Wow. Right? Oh my God. That's, yeah. And that makes so much sense, like hearing that, yeah. Wow. But this leads into the question you asked me, which is about the spirituality behind things, because stories are our way of passing along wisdom and knowledge, but they're, and they're a way of evolving each other, but they're also a way of evolving society. Because if mm -hmm. you think about the, the compelling stories, you know, you know, if you think about stories that have come out, guess who's coming to dinner, you know, or transparent or um, will and grace, you know, like Will and Grace just seems like this, you know, stupid sitcom, right? 
But for many people, it was their first experience, you know, um, meeting someone who was not a gay stereotype, was just a, a human being who happened to be gay. Yeah. You know, and they were surrounded by people who were gay and didn't know, but, you know, because of where they lived, there was so much repression. But, but then they met someone and they went, oh, okay, that's someone who's gay through TV. And they're like, he's not so scary. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that changed things. You know, our stories change things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, um, you know, when you start to realize that, when you start to realize that stories change things, you start to kind of um, connect to the power of that and the responsibility of that, you know, then it, then it starts to start to reach a spiritual dimension, Right. You know, because, you know, what is spirituality, if not a connection to, you know, um, something higher and, 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 and a yearning to connect to something better than we are, become a better human being, you know. Um, and when you start to write stories and you start to think about that, then, you know, there's a spiritual connection on that level, too, because you start to, you know, nowadays, a lot of times when I write, there's moments when I sit down, you know, before I start to write on a really good day. And I, I kind of say to the universe, okay, here I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, and, um, and I, and I treat the space like it's sacred, mm-hmm. you know, and I say, um, you know, all right, universe, help me write something that is worth telling today. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, my, my process is so spiritual. Like I sometimes don't even feel like I'm doing anything but typing. Cause I'm just like mm-hmm. totally in that flow state and it's, it's so hard to describe and, and I'll just like, like hours could go by and I'm just like, wait, what? Like, and I have no memory of it then too. Like the next day I'm like, wait, I know I worked on something, but I have no memory of actually like doing anything. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's surreal, but it's, it's amazing too. Yeah. And it, and- it's the best, the best writing happens when it happens when it doesn't always happen that way. There are days where it's not, you know, there's days when it's, when the inspiration isn't hitting and, and, you know, it becomes more about the craft on those Mm days, you know, the craft of how am I going to use the craft to get me through this spot where I'm stuck? Mm. You know, Um, how am I going to keep myself working rather than just say, well, the inspiration is not speaking to me today, but, but, you know, you try to open, you try to open yourself up to, allowing the inspiration to speak to you, you know? Yeah. 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 No, that's <laughs> working with the, the craft and not just giving up on those days. That's what I need to learn. Cause, cause I do, I will just say, okay, that's not happening today. Move on. But then starting up again is like pulling teeth. So I definitely realize that it's consistency is, is key. Even if it's not happening that day. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. So, so Ed, um, this is a kind of a lecture or talking point that comes from Ed Solomon, right? And it came to Ed Solomon via John Cleese, who was his father-in-law. And it came to John Cleese via a book called um, Hairbrained Tortoise Mind. And so it's gone through a lot of telephone and I've never actually read the original source material. So, so I might be getting tons of things wrong, but but the ideas here should, I mean, make sense, I think. When, you know, so, which is when we write, we write with two different parts of our brain. We write with the creative side, and a lot of people don't think of this, but we write also with the analytical side. We use both, you know, we just use them at different times. Yeah. Right. And they're both really, really useful. And so these people wanted to do a study on, you know, creative people, though. And so they, they did this study and, one of the first things they noticed is that creative people are really good at procrastinating. <laughs> yeah. One of the second things they noticed was that when they hooked them up to brain scans, they were, when they were procrastinating, they were using a different part of their brain. They were using the creative side of their brain. Mm-hmm. And so they thought that's really interesting. So, you know, they wanted to understand what that meant. And so as they kind of looked at it, they kind of started to say, okay, well, the analytical side of the brain is the hair brain. And it's very fast. It's very quick. It's very facile. It's very good at at, um, coming to decisions quickly. It's very good at analysis. It's very good at saying yes or no, fight or flight, you know, run or stay, 
you know? Um, but it's, it's good at pa simple pattern recognition, which is also why it's terrible at writing mm. because it'll go for the simplest pattern, the simplest answer, right? It'll give you the simple answer, which is the cliched easiest thing you've seen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or, or it's, it's, terrible at a certain part of writing. Right. And then the creative brain is different. The creative brain is very dreamy, right? It's that part where you go, I don't know what happened when I was writing. I disappeared into it. Right. Cause the creative brain submerges into the writing and it, 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 it's almost a little stoned and it's more like <laughs> I could do this. I could do this. Mm. I could do this. I could do this. And it's exploring ideas. And where the analytical brain immediately says yes or no, good or bad the the um the creative side is much more kind of like lightly judging hmm. it's, it's it's exploring mm -hmm. more than judging it's going this is an interesting place okay that's kind of interesting let's go over here i'm not quite sure about that idea Let's go over here. Oh, I kind of like that. That's a little more, you know, saying, you know, and it's playing it. And then it starts to take the pieces and put them together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, take, take this piece and this piece and let's see if they fit together. Oh, not that. How about this one and this one? It starts to play. And so, so the reason it's procrastinating is because it's exploring, mm -hmm. right? It's taking its time to go all these different places and it doesn't, choose until it has to choose or until one thing particularly strikes it and says, this is it. Okay. So, so remember when I said like, you know, when I'm creating like a thread, I'm coming up with all these different ideas. Yeah. Well, that's the creative side coming. I could do this. 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 And then at a certain point you have to choose from those and order them and fit them together. And that's the analytical brain now coming in. And it's paring away the things that shouldn't be there. And it's putting things together and helping them connect. You know, it's jig, it's, it's finding where the jigsaw puzzle pieces connect. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you need both of these, right. You need to go into the deep creative without judging and just exploring. And then you have to come up for air and then you have to kind of like put the pieces together. Then you got to go back down into the deep exploring and come back up to, you know, so that the big thing that you learn is you, you need both of these, but you can't do them both at the same time. Yeah. You cannot use both halves of your brain at the same time. If you try to do that, as you come up with an idea, the analytical part of the brain will say, that sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you come up with another idea and the analytical brain says, that sucks. That one's also terrible because most of your ideas at the beginning won't be that good. Yeah. Because sure. they're pieces of ideas. A lot mm -hmm. of times the right idea is a piece of this and a piece of this and a piece of this. But if you're cutting that branch off before you have a chance to kind of do anything with it, well, that's where writer's block comes from. Mm. Because your analytical brain is speaking when you should allow the creative brain to explore. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what you learn to do is you, you learn to shut off that sensor and give yourself permission to just dive in and, and come up with ideas. And you give yourself permission to not have good ideas, mm -hmm. you know? And so, so when I write, one of the reasons I don't get stuck is because I'll sit down and I'll write something knowing it's bad and I'll just write it. And then I'll write option two. Mm -hmm. And without going back, without editing, without trimming, I dive in, I write the second draft of it. And then I'll get to it. And I feel like if I don't like that, I'll write option three. And I'll keep writing and diving in different directions, exploring until I find one I like, or pieces of enough different directions that fit together. You know, and, and then I'll start to craft it in. And now I've got enough to work with that I'm not really stuck anymore. There's some yeah. heat to it, right? And then, you know, um, and if I really get stuck on something where I don't know a path to go on, I'll, I'll literally open up a new document. And I'll go into it and I'll say brainstorming document. And I'll write a letter to myself. I'll say, dear Peter, you're stuck here. Why are you stuck here? Hmm. You're stuck here because it doesn't make sense for this character to do this. This character would never do this, which is ridiculous. And I have to figure out a way the character to come here and do these things. But that doesn't make sense. And I start talking to myself and I'll say, okay, well, if there was an answer to this, what would the answer be? And I'll just start listing answers again. Hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and just keep going, you know. And I'll write ten pages that day of ideas on how to fix the problem, hmm. you know, because I give myself freedom to not, you know, 
to, to, to not have the answer to just explore, yeah. you know? And if I'm, and, and sometimes that'll leave me the answer. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to skip this. I'm going to go to the next thing I know how to write. Yeah. You know, but again, these are, these are tricks that keep you from getting stuck, you know, because they, you, you give yourself permission to, um, to, to explore, to not be good or to say, you know, screw it. I'm stuck. I'm moving on to something else in here that I, that I do know that I am passionate about that I can see. And then you hope that it'll figure itself out later. And usually it does. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Amazing. I don't know. I started wandering there. No. Oh my gosh. That was, that was so helpful for me to hear. So yeah, totally fine. Um, but I want to, uh, jump to final five, but before I do, um, is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to share? Uh, yeah. Well, and I'll just say, look, you know, um, for a lot of people writing is, uh, an intimidating idea, right. And it's intimidating because you look at something that's a finished product and you go, look how good that is. And you didn't get to see the ugly versions it went through. You know, I've got some scripts I've written 20 drafts of. So mm -hmm. if you decide to write, give yourself the permission to know that it doesn't have to be great. You know, it doesn't, not yet. You know, you can come back and rewrite it again and again and again. And that's what everyone else is doing, you know, and the people who've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. They're going to get there a little faster because they got more tricks, but they're mm -hmm. still doing that. When I was working with Ed, you know, I mean, we wrote multiple drafts of everything, you know, now you see me didn't come out completely fully formed. Yeah. You know, someone else had written a draft of it before we, you know, we were rewriting them, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, um, so, so yeah. So um, give yourself permission to just have fun and explore and to love what you're doing and for it to be not good, but be a little better today than it was yesterday. And that's all it has to be. Yeah. I'm learning that too. Like with, cause I have this, inherent need to value the product more than the process. So I'm like, this needs to be done right now. Um, but when I calm down and like, let the process happen, it's, it's so much better, you know, like don't rush it. That's what I'm learning is like, don't try and rush it because it's going to be bad and it needs to be bad so that it can be good. But the good takes time. Yeah. So. And you just make space every day. Oh, this is what I was going to tell you. The reason that it's hard to write the next day when you say, if you don't write is because we use our short term memory when we're using creative brain. And so we're loading the story into our brain. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's just like that thing where say you're writing and someone comes to you and says, uh, Zanya, where did you park the car yesterday? You know, I, I, I just, I need to go get something out yet. Where, where did you put that? You know, mm -hmm. and you start thinking, okay, okay, I parked the car. Oh, right. I came home. It's eight thirty at night. I was coming back from shopping. Uh, you know, where where I, I picked up wine and food for dinner, and then we drove here. And I parked over here, and I got out of the car and I came over to the house and came inside. Okay, yeah, and you tell them where it is, right? And they say thanks, and they walk away, and you turn back to write, and it's gone. Mm -hmm. because that short-term space that you had filled with all these ideas and characters and their voices and how everything fit together has been replaced with you imagining where you parked, what you bought, how you got it back. All that's now filling up that whiteboard. And now you've got to erase that whiteboard and get started again, right? Well, there's also a part of that, you know, like every day you keep a piece of that whiteboard in your head, right? The longer in between a writing session, that stuff disappears. Mm, that makes so much sense. Oh my God. Writing every day. <laughs> okay. So speed round, final five. What's been your favorite story to create so far? I play Rocky, which is the Sylvester Stallone biopic about how he, how he made the movie Rocky. Oh, cool. Hmm. Uh, what's one piece of advice you have for future screenwriters? I know we did a lot of that, but boil it down to one um, piece. <laughs> Uh, uh, write every day, be kind to yourself, give yourself permission to, to free yourself from having to be good. And before you write, you know, half of what I taught myself, I taught myself by learning from other people. So before you write, take 20 minutes and pick a good screenplay and read something about it and just look at it and say, 
there's something in here I like, and I'm going to take one thing from this and I'm going to practice doing that today in my work today. What's something you'd tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self to face my fears, to do the things that make me uncomfortable. You know, I t- this isn't fast, but you know, when I realized that everyone's got a character arc and I started to see it in my friends, I went for a walk one day wondering what is my character arc? And I walked for two hours, mm. you know, thinking about it. And when I figured out that fear was my character arc, that that was the thing, suddenly I saw that that was the thing that had held me back in everything in my whole life. Yeah. You know? And so I knew that the thing I had to do was I had to do anything that made me uncomfortable. That was scary to me. You know, it wasn't recklessly dangerous. And every time I've done that, my life has gotten better. Mm. So I would tell myself to figure out my character work earlier and start working on it earlier because mm. I'm a much happier human being because of it. Yeah, I totally get that. My dominant energy is water. And so the opposite of that is great fear. So I, yeah, I'm the same, same exact way. Uh, question four, what's something you do if you're feeling a creative block? I, I like to go walk and talk. Uh, you know, I like to move when I'm stuck. Um, so usually I'm, I, I like to write with partners. So I walk out and talk, but, it, but if I'm stuck, I will usually write a letter to myself. Mm. You know, this is why I'm stuck. And, and, and then I'll listen to see what that part of me that I'm talking to answers back. And sometimes it answers back very quickly and very surprisingly things that I like, where did that come from? So yeah, not always that. Listening is important. Uh, okay. Last question. What's something you'd tell someone who feels like they don't have a spiritual connection? Someone once told me, uh, I was in, uh, back in Florida and I met one of my mom's friends who I instantly saw that he had this connection. I could, you could just feel it. And so I asked him about it, you know, cause you know, I, you know, um, and I, and I said, you, you know, you seem like you, you, really happy and really connected to something. And he said, you know, he said, the most spiritual person I know, um, I asked him about this. And he said, uh, he said, look, God is speaking to everyone at all times, but he's speaking in a whisper. And he said, so, you know, you have to stop and listen. But, the inter- but an interesting thing is if you stop, if you listen, then God starts to speak louder and louder and it gets easier and easier to hear. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting. Oh my gosh, this has been an amazing episode. I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you, Zanya. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.